Hi, this is Ben Lowell with Back to the Bible Canada and Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we're continuing our series called Finding Pleasure in God with a message titled, The Importance of the Truth About God. So let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm chapter 43 as we join Dr. Newfeld now. We should know the difference between appearances and reality, between feelings and facts. I have on more than one occasion shared friendships with shy and reclusive people. Quite often I've heard these people described as arrogant and unfriendly. It's occurred to me how quick we are to ascribe evil motives to others based almost entirely on appearances, and that, of course, is is hurtful. The same is true when it comes to emotions. Now, we live in a time of an interesting cultural value. In our day, in what we call a post-truth era, how a person feels is given a great deal of importance. I mean, take, for instance, the very real and controversial flashpoint in our culture, the discussion about gender identity. A man may say, I feel I am a woman. Now, his biology, his DNA, every external scientific marker, including his genitalia, says he's a male. But our culture now strongly believes that emotions and inner feelings trump objectivity, science, biology, and external factual verification. Indeed, we may soon be at a place where we enshrine subjective feelings into law, protecting them with charges of hate speech should anyone object to these feelings. On the same subject, that of feeling versus facts, I I remember once attending a reconciliation meeting in which one person expressed his feelings regarding a relationship. He was deeply hurt by something the other person had done. You know, after examining the details of the dispute, it was quickly determined that the offended brother had made a mistake. The other brother had not done what the supposed victim thought he had done. We could, I thought, quickly come to a resolution. But what happened next shocked me. The offended brother said, my feelings are real. And he wouldn't be moved from his complete reliance on his emotions. Unless he said, you validate my feelings, you're re-victimizing me. Well, needless to say, we didn't get far in bringing reconciliation. But I mentioned this to make a point. In North American culture, we're now at a place where emotions simply reign supreme. It's now common to place emotion over reason and over truth, and even over our will. It's now not uncommon for someone to say they've committed adultery and they were overcome by desire and by attraction, and they say, I was helpless. I didn't plan it this way. It just overcame me. Feelings are now judged to be supreme. Now, I know many of my hearers are now shaking their head and saying, yep, that's the crazy culture that we live in. But wait a minute. None of us can live in a culture without being deeply influenced by that culture. And in a culture such as ours, feelings are given a place of prominence. And so it's quite natural that all of us place our feelings in a very important place. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not arguing that we should suppress our feelings, but I will in this episode stress that one of the great fights that all believers must face is to learn to train our feelings. Yeah, you heard me. Feelings are easily manipulated. And feelings can be made to be obedient to the will, and they can be made even forced to serve the truth. Now, why am I talking this way? 
I am because when we study Psalm 42, we begin by hearing the psalmist saying that he feels abandoned by God. And and that's a legitimate feeling, taking into mind what he has gone through. But as we're going to see, his feeling does not match the truth of God. He is feeling abandoned, but he was never abandoned. Now, that doesn't negate the feeling, but it does put the emotion on a lower level to truth. And once we settle on that, we will learn to teach the truth to our emotions constantly, preaching to our emotions from Scripture until our emotions begin to find contentment and then joy in the truth. We can learn to be trained to find pleasure in God. We can learn that feelings of being abandoned by God must face the truth of who God is. What arises out of this is hope. See, one of the sons of Korah wrote the 42nd Psalm. It begins with a plaintive cry. The psalmist is thirsting after God like a deer who thirsts after water. You know, this son of Korah has been kicked out of the tabernacle. He's most likely a refugee. He's following King David as he flees from Absalom. He doesn't know if he will ever appear before God's sanctuary again, and he feels abandoned by God. And and to make matters worse, his enemies are mocking him and saying, where is your God? And so what do we do in these moments? When we, on our own experience, feel that God has abandoned us, what should we do? Now, let me suggest from this psalm, Psalm 42, that there are three things we must do. The first requires us to look to the past. Let's read Psalm 42, verse 4. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts, songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. See, I see right here that this son of Korah is remembering those days when he led, when God was right there, when God allowed him a part in his ministry. And that can be greatly healing. If you're feeling abandoned by God, you need to remember those moments when God was near. When every prayer you whispered was answered, it seemed before you said amen. And when you led your mom or dad or a child or a friend to faith in Christ, And when you are called upon to serve God and you felt his favor, you need to remember that. Sometimes those sweet memories can be healing. You know, I have a vivid memory at a time in my life when when I felt abandoned by God. I parked my car at the beach at White Rock. It's on Canada's west coast. And in the dead of winter, I looked out over the black water and, and I sensed every bit as black as that ocean looked in the winter rain and darkness. And at that moment, I remembered the names of people who who had come to Christ under my ministry. And and that evening, though nothing was solved, I became profoundly grateful that that at one point in my ministry, in one small section of God's harvest field, I had labored with great effect by the grace of God. And I wept and I simply said, thank you. See, there is healing in remembering how you have once walked closely with God. But the danger here is significant. Remembering in a healthy way can lead to a longing in an unhealthy way. I mean, why aren't things like that now? And that leads to a second thing that we must do. We need to look to the future. Now look at verse 5. I want to point out two things there. It says, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Now, first of all, did you notice that our son of Korah is speaking sternly to his own soul? In other words, he will not give in to the ever-present despair that threatens him, nor will he give in to feelings of self-pity. 
In his commentary on this passage, Martin Lloyd-Jones stressed the importance of talking to ourselves rather than allowing the circumstances to talk to us. Lloyd-Jones even went so far as to say that at the very heart of wisdom is practicing these matters. See, I would agree, although I'd put it even more strongly. I would say we need to preach to ourselves from Scripture. In other words, when you feel abandoned by God, at the very moment that you feel abandoned, you need to sit yourself down and preach yourself a very good sermon. Begin to say, I will not allow you, my soul, to let this situation dictate how you're going to feel or how you look at things. I will not allow what I am presently going through to form my theology, my outlook on life, or or my decisions. Instead, I'm commanding you, my soul, to hope in God. I believe that in the future, that my future will be dictated not by the circumstances of this hour, but by the future promises of grace that I find in God. And what promises do I find? I might remember that Jesus had said in in Matthew 24, verse 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Put it another way. Your body may pass away. Your friends and family may pass away. Your money may pass away. Your good times may pass away, but the words of Christ will not pass away. Now add this to another thing and impress this on your memory. In Joshua 1, verse 5, Joshua is told to be strong and to remember this. Joshua 1, verse 5, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Okay, that was good for Joshua, but what about me? Well, many years later, when the writer of Hebrews is telling Christians not to be concerned about the lack of money in their lives, here's what he says, Hebrews 13, verse 5, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. In other words, a promise made to Joshua some 3,500 years ago is meant to be applied to every single child of God. God has promised never to leave his children. So do you see, if you feel abandoned by God, it's only how you feel and it's only how things look from your vantage point. It's not how things are. You need to say to your soul, put your hope in God. Connecting God's people to God's Word in our world today is critical. And Truth and Life Today with Dr. John Newfeld engages timely issues of life and faith so important for God's people to engage and discuss. Special guests each week examine critical issues that impact our lives and our journey with Jesus. So join us on Truth and Life today by tuning in on Vision TV every Sunday at 1230 Eastern or subscribe to the Back to the Bible Canada YouTube channel or simply visit us online at backtothebible.ca and send us an email at info at backtothebible.ca to let us know that you're watching. If you'd like to learn more or share a gift to support the ministry of Truth and Life today or any of the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada, would you call us today at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. That's 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. We have said that there are three things that we must do when we're tempted to give in to our feelings 
that we're being abandoned by God. The first requires us to look at the past, the second to look at the future promises of God, and the third, we need to remember well the one who is our God. Let's read verse 6. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mitzar. And what he means here is, I will not only remember the good times in my life, as I saw in verse 4, I will not only hope in God, as we saw in verse 5, but I'll remember what God has done in the land of Israel. And that means the Bible. You know, this book is filled with stories, hundreds of them, of men and women who felt abandoned by God and who were not. Remember Job? Remember Daniel in the lion's den? Remember King Hezekiah surrounded by the armies of Sennacherib? Remember David hunted by King Saul? Remember Israel at the Red Sea? Remember Naomi who became bitter? Remember Habakkuk at the eve of the destruction of Jerusalem? More than any, remember Jesus slandered and crucified. Remember all of that. Were any of them abandoned, any at all? You need to remember, and the reason you're in despair is because you haven't remembered. And by the way, have I just given you a reason to know the Bible well? Well, I I think I have. And those three things, looking to the past, to the future, and remembering God, is what you need to do when you're in crisis and feeling abandoned by God. You need to know the difference between your feeling and the truth. But someone will say, well, why does God let me go through these times when I feel he's not there? Why doesn't he immediately answer every prayer and take every trouble from me? So let's consider what God is doing in those moments when we feel most abandoned. I want you to pay attention to verse 7. That verse is amazing. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Did you catch that? I know that some will take this to mean, well, God is leading me into the deep, but, but that's only partially what this writer says. The writer was perhaps standing beside some waterfall in a strange land where he was living. I mean, there are no waterfalls in Israel, but perhaps he is looking at a river, the likes of something that he had never seen. The waters are powerful. They're deep, deeper than he can imagine, and they sweep everything away. One commentator put it this way, blow follows blow. Misfortunes come not in single, manageable fashion, but they come in overwhelming battalions. Miseries overwhelm my soul and I am swept away. And just when you think that's all he's saying, look again at verse 7 more closely. All your breakers and waves have gone over me. In other words, they're God's breakers. They're God's waves, God's blows, God's misfortunes. They are God's miseries. Peter speaks exactly that way. In 1 Peter, as he's speaking about the imperishable inheritance that's awaiting for us, he says the following. I'm reading 1 Peter 1, verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Now, I don't know about you, but isn't your first question always, if necessary? I mean, who thinks what I'm going through is necessary? I mean, necessary? No. Tragic? Yes. I mean, who thinks this is necessary? Answer? God does. He determines when it's necessary for a while. And he also determines that it might be necessary for us to feel abandoned by God. St. John of the Cross was a Christian mystic living in Spain in the 1500s. He spoke of a dark night of the soul. He said that during Christian growth, the Christian soul can go through a period of intense loneliness and desolation in which God intends to break us of self-reliance and trust in our own ego. 
He said that during this time, the Christian feels that he has been abandoned by God and that his prayer life has seemed to have collapsed. I think that's exactly what the son of Korah is saying. I feel abandoned by God and I'm desperate for him and still he does not speak. And in the meantime, the breakers rush over me and I find that they are God's breakers. Do you know what God is doing when you feel abandoned by him? He's doing at least three things. The first is that God rules. He rules meticulously. He rules in the big things and he rules in the small things. He rules over the moments of pleasure and he rules over the moments of pain. He rules when I feel his presence and he rules when it seems I feel only his absence. His gracious hand has led me through all things and in that I am content. Are you? Why don't you take some time right now and tell God, Lord, I'm content with the way you rule. Your breakers have washed over me and it's enough to know that they were always your breakers in the end. He rules. The second thing that God is doing is that he loves. Let's read the first part of verse 8. By the day the Lord commands his steadfast love. You know, that word steadfast love, it's the Hebrew word hesed. Hesed is the love of the covenant. It's the love of God for those whom he has entered into in a binding agreement. See, once God makes a covenant, he doesn't break it. Listen to the words of Psalm 89, a psalm which, which celebrates a covenant that God has made with King David. It's a covenant that would establish the offspring of David forever. Now listen to what God says about that covenant. Psalm 89, verses 30 to 34. If his children forsake my law and do not walk according to my rules, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with a rod and their iniquity with stripes, but I will not remove my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter my word that went forth from my lips. Listen. When God enters into a binding agreement, and now I'm speaking about that binding agreement that we have that's been made by the blood of the cross, when God makes that agreement with us, he will not break it. No matter what dark night of the soul you walk through at his leading, he will command his love established in the new covenant in his blood, and that love will sustain you. God will love you in the dark night of the soul. He rules and he loves. But now look at verse 8 again. At first, I read only the first part of the verse. I want to read all of it now. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I want you to notice the, the wordplay here. His love by day, his song in the night. Do you remember when you were a little boy or a little girl? You were convinced there were monsters under your bed, a bogeyman in your closet, strange noises were coming out of the darkness. Maybe your mom would know all about your irrational fears and she'd sing you a song. Some of you know the childhood song that goes something like this. Day is done, gone the sun, but we need not fear. Darkness comes that we might see the stars and know that God is near. Greater light rules the day, lesser rules the night. Sun or moon, it doesn't matter. We are always in his sight. And then mom would tuck you in and the song would comfort you. Do you know that God understands your irrational moments? He understands that there are moments when you need a song in the night. And what does that mean? See, God not only rules and loves, but he also comforts. So let's read verses 9 to 10. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? That seems to repeat what the psalmist has been feeling. 
But now those feelings, while they're still there, seem to have been robbed of their potency. Those feelings no longer cripple him. Why is that? Because whenever he feels these things, whenever his emotions tell him to concentrate on his enemies or to concentrate on his losses or to concentrate on the feelings of abandonment by God, he remembers the words and he writes the last verse of the psalm. Verse 11 says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. See, the son of Korah remembers that God is not only his God, but that God is also his salvation. And that tells him that he knows with absolute certainty that God will deliver him. God will do good to him in such a way that in the end, when it's done, he will find reasons to praise God. Faith is gazing at the things that we can't see in the present, but resting in the assurance that these things are true, because these things are the promises that have been made by none other than God himself, and for us New Testament believers, by the God who sent his Son for us. See, there's an old saying that goes like this. For the Christian, everything is good in the end, and if it's not good, It simply means it's not the end. Indeed, it is not the end. But in the fray, when feelings threaten to overwhelm us, it's so very important that we keep telling ourselves the truth of God. For the truth is worth so much more than our transient feelings because His truth is eternal. Thank you, God, that you have given us enough truth that will always help us in those moments when we feel abandoned, for we have never been abandoned. John, what would seem really important out of your message today is we really have to allow the Bible to take preeminence over our feelings. Yeah, and how opposed to our culture that is, and how opposed to everything within ourselves that says, no, it's not so. What I'm feeling is exactly what's going on. So I think we, we must pay attention to our feelings. They, they tell us a lot about where we are, even spiritually. But in the end, I think we need to train our feelings by the Word of God. I mean, Luther said he trained his conscience by the Word of God. That was very important in his day. We need to say, I've trained my feelings by the Word of God. And the more that we work on that training process, the more we're going to find we're not abandoned by God in any sense of the word. Thanks so much, John. Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Have you heard Dr. John's latest series in the book of the Psalms, Finding Pleasure in God? Well, if you haven't, or if you'd like to hear it again, or you want to send it to a friend, we want to send Finding Pleasure in God on CD as our gift to you. We also want to include Dr. John's series on Psalm 42, To the King, accompanied by a limited edition illustration of Psalm 42 on a magnet for your kitchen, your office, or shop, all reminding you of God's faithfulness. These three ministry resources, all free as our gift. Finding Pleasure with God, To the King, and the limited edition Psalm 42 illustration on a magnet. To ask for your free gifts this month, or to offer a gift to support the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.com. 
www.cnc.org.ca.